millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode number 28. And in this episode, we're going to discuss what sequence of returns risk means and how it can potentially make or break your retirement. In the last episode, we talked about how inflation affects your retirement nest egg, and sequence of returns is a potentially deadly, deadly factor when it comes to your retirement, and we'll talk about um, some examples of how that can potentially affect you. It's a concept that you don't read very much, and you won't see it mentioned in uh, financial blogs or on uh, major financial news stations. Uh, but certainly um, it's something that you need to be aware of early on, particularly when you're planning for your retirement uh, in the next sort of 20 to 40 years or so. Now, before we get on to sequence of returns risk, I just want to summarize the main aim of this podcast channel, and that is for you to be able to be financially educated, learn all the economic concepts and concepts of personal finance as best as you possibly can in a digestible way so that you can apply it to your life every single day. The aim of this podcast channel is not to make things complicated. Yes, there are some financial concepts that are a little bit on the geeky side, but if you understand them, you can master them in your own life. And if you master them in your own life, then you can get your personal finance behavioral aspects sorted out um, quickly, and then you can just focus on building wealth and building your retirement nest egg. The basic premise of um, uh, sort of personal finance, in my view, is the pay yourself concept. That is, you take at least 20% of your after-tax income and put it away as savings and invest it. And do this again and again and again and invest the dividends and the interest that you get on it and keep doing it for hopefully 30 or 40 years. And there is a very, very good chance that you will become extremely wealthy in your retirement. We're talking potentially multimillionaires, but you need to get that behavior down packed. You need to automate it so you don't have to think about it. You just need to repeat it and execute it and not really pay attention to what the stock market's doing, what the superannuation market's doing, what the retail industry is doing, because overall in Australia and most industrialized and developing and developed countries, overall... The progress in the future is optimistic and overall due to population growth, you are going to get more retail spending, more demand for products and services. Um, So the aim of this is to save that money and invest it. The second aim of it is where do you invest it? Well, you invest it in the whole stock market, in the whole hay, um, not, not, not the actual needle in the haystack, okay? Now, before we go on to the concept of sequence of returns risk, um, I read an article um, in MSN Money recently, which was written by a guy called Tristan Harrison. And the title of the article 
was interesting. Uh, it was how to create a yearly income of $100,000 in dividends. Now, it's definitely doable. Um, and the article talks about three key principles or steps that you need to do. But the article is slightly misleading and deceiving. And I thought it'd be worthwhile to discuss it. Um, the first step is obviously earn and save money. Now, of course, that's quite simple. Uh, make sure that you earn enough money. And if you earn enough money, make sure you take away a portion of that money and put it away into savings and investments, which is the pay yourself concept. And try and reduce your expenses, of course. The second step that he talks about is trying to invest that money. And this is where it gets a little bit misleading. Um, and this is exactly um, you know, what, what he says. I believe there are two good options for investing your money that would be the best for your wealth and or life. The first option is to spend as little time looking at shares as possible. Only choose quality diversified investments, then don't worry about them and completely ignore market volatility. This approach should lead to perfectly good compounded returns and also give you more time to spend earning more money or more time for your personal life. And he goes on to give some options such as the Vanguard International ETF or iShares S&P 500 ETF or MWF Capital Investments Limited. And then he talks about this. I quote, The other option is to maximise your investment returns as much as possible. That doesn't mean speculative shares. It just means finding quality ASX shares that can generate strong long-term returns. Shares like Ultium Limited, Costa Group Holdings Limited, REA Group, and WAM Microcap Limited are good long-term options. So essentially he's suggesting stock picking or he's suggesting um, particular share market uh, companies to pick. Now, I've talked about this in the past. The evidence is in the long term, picking stocks or trying to find that needle in the haystack over the long term doesn't work. And this is where I think the article is a little bit misleading. I totally agree with the first bit where he says passively invest into the whole ETF S&P 500. In my case, I invest into the Vanguard ASX 300. But to say to pick this stock and pick that stock and try and maximize your returns, yes, um, if you you know go through the prospectus of these companies and try and pick those stocks, yes, you might actually do okay. But to repeatedly do that in the long term, I think that's a huge risk. And frankly, there's evidence to suggest that it just doesn't work. So just be aware. And of course, when he mentions these stocks, you can actually click on them um, and uh, you can sort of go into it and do some more research. Now, the final step is to reinvest until you reach your goals. Totally agree with that. And this is what he says. The power of compounding works best when you reinvest your dividends into more shares along the way. That doesn't even mean using the dividend reinvestment plans. You can take it out as cash and invest it in the best opportunity you see. If the grossed up dividend yield for your portfolio is around 6%, it would take a portfolio of approximately $1.66 million to hit your income target of $100,000. That seems like a lot of money, and of course it is a lot of money, but let's do some math. If you start with $0 and invest $1,000 a month, which compounds at a 10% a year rate, it would only take 27 years 
to reach your goal of $100,000 a year in annual income. It can be quite possible to generate returns of more than 10% a year, bringing you much quicker to your goal. You could earn those much better returns by buying top quality ASX shares like these for your portfolio, and that particular segment is hyperlinked to various quality stocks that he recommends. Again, stock picking. Not a great fan. Get a bit nervous when people write about that. The evidence, people, is just not there. Passive investing over the long term and investing in the whole market over the long term returns more money and you're more safer. And you know, investing in the investing in the, the haystack and time in the market is what's going to get you your return. So I'm a little bit worried. And also quoting 6% dividends and quoting 10% a year in annualized returns. I mean, that's a huge return. I mean, 10% a year is quite significant. I know historically the ASX has done, you know, around 9 to 13%, but, you know, historical performance is never an indicator of how it's going to perform in the future. You know, it, it's it's a pretty good prognosticator, but it's definitely nothing is 100% guaranteed. And I think 10% is a bit optimistic. I think if you plan for sort of 6 to 8% return, um, I think you're relatively safe. Um, and of course, right at the bottom, um, he, he, he goes on to sort of, you know, there's a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this is from a guy in Motley Fool, contributor Tristan Harris, owns shares of Altium Costa Group, uh, Magellan Flagship and WAM Micro uh, FPO. The Motley Fool Australia owns shares of Oz, uh, owns shares of and has recommended Costa Group FPO. And then it just talks about um, some of the um, conflict of interest um, and the Motley Fool has a disclosure policy, et cetera, et cetera. So always read the fine print. So we know when people start recommending shares, you always have to go, well, hang on, are they recommending it because it is in their best interest to do so? In this particular case, obviously, Motley Fool, if, if, if you're not sure, is a bit of a financial advisory group and, they, and there's a lot of very, very good YouTube videos. They do a fantastic work, but I do tend to get a little bit worried about stock picking. Again, it really depends on your risk profile, so it's really important to understand what you're reading. So yes, um, if you're a very, very good stock picker, you know, Warren Buffett is a classic example, picks stocks, picks companies, turns businesses around, and has at an annual rate of return of 20% over the last, you know, whatever number of years, I think 30 or 50 years or whatever it is. But we are not Warren Buffett. I've got a full-time job, you've got a full-time job, you've got family, you've got kids. You might not have the time to do the research to be able to stock pick. Um, and, you know, just be a bit wary. I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, 100% bad idea or whatever, but I'm just saying be wary. The evidence, if you do your research, is, is just not there. Anyway, getting on to today's main topic, and that is what is sequence of returns? Now, it's a very important concept, and it's rarely mentioned in the financial blogs and media, but it's an important concept to understand, digest, and work it out for yourself because it can make or break your retirement life. So what is it? Basically, it means the sequence of the returns on your investments on a yearly basis can often have drastic consequences for how much money you have for retirement, especially if you're drawing down on your retirement at the same time. So the sequence of returns is year one of your retirement, if you're drawing down X amount of percentage, and if the return on investment is 5%, and year two is negative 25%, and year three is negative 30%, and year four is positive 20%, that sequence of returns, if you're drawing down your retirement, makes a huge difference to what you end up with in your retirement nesting. So let's use an example. 
Suppose you're contributing 20% of your after-tax income to your investment portfolio during your work life, and you do this for over 30 years. So you invest a dollar into the stock market in the 1980s, that's the ASX stock market, it would be worth around $50 today. So if you just put a dollar and just get the dividends to be reinvested from that dollar, today in 2019, that $1 will be worth $50 because you have not touched the money. Remember, you're reinvesting the dividends of that $1 and you've allowed the power of compounding to take effect. This is a very important concept that you need to grasp and that is you're not touching the money and the power of compounding and what the value of money becomes over the long term. Okay. In fact, if you look at historically, and this is where I think historical evidence is reasonably important, but like I said, it's not a 100% predictor of future. Since 1900, the ASX has returned an average rate of return of about 9-point-odd percent, okay? And the sequence of returns has been 23 years in that 100 years, um, 119 years of negative years, so negative growth, and 96 years of the 119 years has been positive growth, okay? So they've had 23 negative years and 96 positive years. This includes big negative years of 28.1% in 1930, negative 23.3% and 26.9% respectively in 73 and 74, and of course the big crash in 2008 which happened with a negative 40.4% return. The positive years, some of them were excellent to 28% in 1963 and 19.7% in 2013. I remember, I remember having, having uh, index funds and sort of stock market um, you know, portfolios in 2013. And I was thinking, you know, the 19% growth has been absolutely stunning. And I just wished, can this just go on forever? Because I made loads of money. And of course, I didn't draw any money because I just kept reinvesting and contributing on a monthly basis. It was just a fantastic year. But of course, not all things last forever. But the sequence here, so for example, 28% positive in 63 or 28% negative in 1930, I could have jumbled up the sequence of these returns, so I could have made 2008 happen in 1940 and vice versa. As long as I don't touch the money I invested in 1900, I will end up with the same money at the end of 919 years. Okay, so if I invested some money in 1900 and jumbled up the sequence of returns, or if I invested the money in 1980 and jumbled up the sequence of returns, as long as I don't withdraw from that retirement portfolio then whichever the sequence I get, it doesn't matter because I'll end up with the same amount of money left over after 119 years of compounding returns or over 50 years of uh, compounding returns or over 30 years of compounding returns. It doesn't matter. The key is I'm not touching the money that I'm investing. Okay? But what happens if I took some money out or if I draw down some money to live on it? What happens then? Well because that's how retirement works, because you'll be having to draw down your retirement when you retire, you need to take some of the returns out. Now, if I did that, and it turns out the sequence of returns is extremely important. So if I start drawing down the money, the sequence of these returns, whether I get a positive start, or whether I get a negative start, whether I get a negative finish or a positive finish, totally makes a huge difference. Now, if you go to YouTube and just type in sequence of returns risks, there are some fantastic real-life examples of how it can really break or make your retirement. So, 
If you wanted to retire, and this is a great example, and you might have heard about this uh, in your research about the stock market crash in 2008. There's a lots of you know Wall Street documentaries about 2008. And they talk about this. If you wanted to retire in 2008, but you got hit with negative 40% returns in the ASX that year, you basically got stuffed in your retirement because basically you've just saved up all that money and you've got a retirement portfolio over a couple of of million dollars and all of a sudden you've lost 40% of that value. So, you know, almost 50% of value is gone. So now your retirement nest egg, which was going to dividend yield about 4% of $80,000 a year, has become almost $40,000 a year. So you're like, you know, that's a significant downward return. And that sequence would have just absolutely smashed your retirement portfolio. If you look at all these documentaries, you see a lot of these elderly people, I shouldn't say elderly, but retirees, that had to go back to work or they had to extend their working life because they just could not afford to retire. It's an extremely important concept. And that's why sequence of returns risk is massive. So sequence of returns risk matters. So how do, you, how do you adequately prepare for sequence of returns risk? How do you try and mitigate these risks as much as possible? You need to really start thinking about alternative spend down strategies. So the 4% rule has been traditionally used over a number of years where you would draw 4% of your portfolio um, and try and live off that. And that includes part principal, part interest, part dividends. You might want to think about doing a 3% portfolio. Um, uh, sorry, 3% withdrawal rate, okay? So you might want to think about 3.5% withdrawal rate. Whatever withdrawal rate that you think is appropriate for you. So you might have to do some projections and calculations and have contingency planning there. So hopefully, in the long term, if you have dividends of 4 or 5 or 6%, I think 4% is a general sort of dividend yield in Australia, which seems to be the average over the long term. But if you get 6% consistently, I think you're doing extremely well. But um, it may well be that if you have the 4% rule, but you have dividends that are 4%, then you know you might be relatively safe, provided you have a spend-down strategy within that sort of limit. So if you don't have to touch the principal and just live off the dividends, then you're well-positioned to retire comfortably in the long run. Um, now, the ASX 300 dividend rate at the moment is about 4.1% historically, which is actually quite good. Uh, you'll notice in Australia, we're very lucky because I've talked about in the past having fully frank dividends. Uh, we're also very lucky because Australian stocks uh, and Australian, you know, uh, the, the ASX, the companies that are listed there, a lot of the companies do really well globally and locally and they provide excellent dividends and almost a lot of those dividends are fully franked. If you don't know what that means, I've talked about it in previous podcasts about it, but certainly look it up on Investopedia. You'll get some really, really good definitions and understanding of what fully frank dividend is. It's absolute gold, okay? So the second strategy is reduce your expenses. Look, in reality, as the stock market evolves in your retirement, if you have negative years, are you going to be withdrawing the same amount of money? Are you still going to be withdrawing your 4% or 3%? You might have to adjust your lifestyle to try and withdraw less money, try and live off less dividends. Um, so to give you a real-life example, if you're working at the moment, all of a sudden your hours got cut and your income you know, reduced by 20% or 30%, are you going to be you know, spending lavishly? Uh, no, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. If You're going to have to reduce your expenses 
reduce your utilities bills, reduce your groceries, reduce your fixed expenses as much as you possibly can, maybe sell off the cars or you know, sell off a couple of investment properties, whatever you may have to try and accommodate for that extra um, uh, sort of burden of cash flow issues that you're going to face because you've just you know, reduced your income. So the same thing happens in retirement. You know, there's always this sort of fairy tale story to have unlimited retirement funds and, you know, going in business class and there's going to beaches around the world and just retirement, retiring in an island, etc. It, it kind of only works in theory. You need to actively monitor your retirement nest eggs so that you can tailor it on a year to year basis, depending on what the stock market does. Um, so, and of course, it really depends on your lifestyle, really depends on how much money that you need um, to retire. So, you know, if you set your goals very, very high, you you need $20 million to retire because you need, you know, $800,000 of income to retire, then it's pretty easy for you to cut down on your expenses um, to sort of, you know, live, you know, between that sort of $400,000 to $800,000 a year in terms of dividend income. But, you know, that's relatively unrealistic for most Australians. If you want to live um, you know, with forty or eighty thousand dollars in dividends in your retirement, which is a more of a realistic expectations, which is around one to two million dollars in retirement portfolio, that includes your super. Then, if you have a sudden cut in those dividends because of the stock market crashing, then you need to change that lifestyle. It's a realistic approach to life. Now, don't forget side hustle income. So, you know, um, you may have to work part time, or you may have to do a side hustle or side business. Uh, I know a lot of retirees that do food businesses, food vans, um, you know, they do cleaning on the weekends, um, they do gardening on the weekends, uh, there's a huge um, uh, business in uh, Melbourne, Australia, I'm not sure whether it's national or whether it's just Melbourne, it's called the Grey Army, where a lot of retirees get together and do some household jobs and handyman work, and they do a very good job of it. So if you're one of those people that needs to retire but also has to have some sort of part-time income or you just can't, you know, stay at home all the time because you get really bored, then you might have to have a side hustle. It might be your natural evolution after a full-time work to have some sort of a side hustle so that you have some sort of cash flow, some income generation. Um, Geo-arbitrage, I've talked about this in my previous podcast and uh, about, um, you know, how you can actually change locations, change the scenery, change cities, change states, change countries, um, and live in a place that's got reduced cost of living so that um, your retirement nest egg uh, can work for you. It's very, very personalized, um, so it really depends on what you want to do. You know, uh, I would really love to retire on an island somewhere in Thailand, um, but of course, if it means being away from my kids, um, then, you know, maybe not. So it really depends on what your lifestyle is. Um, but, you know, a lot of people in Australia do move overseas to Bali or Thailand or Indonesia or Vanuatu or Cook Islands, whatever it is, um, and try and uh, make use of geo-arbitrage um, to try and take advantage of that. So, in summary, in this uh, episode, we've talked about sequence of returns risk and what it means and how it can make or break your retirement nest eggs. It's really important to understand and digest that concept so that you can apply it in your own life. That way, when it comes to retirement, you're you know, well prepared for it. We've talked about some of the uh, risk mitigation strategies to try and reduce the risk of sequence of returns risk. Um, and also, we've talked about an article that was in MSN Money where they've got the three steps to try and get $100,000 in dividends um, and how much you need in portfolio returns to be able to achieve that. 
Uh, look, I, I tend to agree with most of the article. Uh, I'm not a genius, but the evidence is that um, stock picking just doesn't work in the long term unless you're just you know, brilliant at it, and I'm not brilliant at it. But um, it's more to say that um, you just need to be aware about what you read and make sure you read all the disclosures. In this particular case, uh, quite clearly the article um, had some disclosures that they need to um, uh, they need to make you aware of, and um, and quite appropriately they did that. But just be aware that um, you know buying the stock and selling that stock in the long term, yeah, it might work um, for some people, but in the in the majority of Australians who have a life outside of stock picking. Um, it's unlikely to work. And if you look at the evidence in the UK, if you look at the evidence in the United States, it's very similar. Um, investing in the index, investing in the whole haystack uh, and time in the market is far better than uh, trying to find the needle in the haystack and trying to time the market. Now, mission statement, save that 20% after tax income and invest it and keep reinvesting the compounds uh, of that uh, dividends. Okay, so uh, this is Devraga Personal Finance. If you've got any questions, uh, I've got a Facebook group called Devraga Personal Finance, which is actually available publicly. Feel free to post your question. Contact me, private message, SMS, phone number if you've got my number. Uh, I will try and get back to you as soon as possible. And uh, until next time, save 20%, pay yourself first, and most importantly, stay safe. Thank you. 